All right. Hello, everyone. You are listening to a game development podcast. And, uh, well, we're actually going to be talking about BlizzCon this time, which isn't necessarily a developer-focused, um, uh, I guess, conference. But I'm sure there's lots of different details and related to Blizzard development and other things that we're going to hear more about from my lovely co-host, Bernard. Isn't that right? Oh, you know it, Joe. Excellent. Now, they're going to be doing things a little bit differently this time. Usually I try and do a bit of cleanup and editing, but we want to get this out as quickly as possible. So it's going to be a bit raw, meaning that this is what you're getting. So, (laughs) (laughs) So basically this conversation is going to focus around the BlizzCon conference, which happens every year, I believe, where Blizzard talks about all their latest games and I'm sure many other things. Uh, Of course, we are going to discuss all the (laughs) happenings that happened at this particular conference (laughs) this year. Um, There was some pretty crazy stuff, which I'm sure uh, Bernard will elaborate on. But what I would like to do for this particular conversation is let's try and tackle the conference from more of a developer standpoint, kind of maybe discussing, sure, what happened at the conference, but more so what we can learn as developers from the conference and maybe just from Blizzard in general. And perhaps um, when uh, Bernie starts elaborating on some stuff, we can maybe learn some pretty interesting things. So uh, to kick things off here, since you attended the conference, could you maybe break it down a little bit for all the people who are not familiar with it or, you know, just what exactly happens during this time? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So Pretty much annually, uh, Blizzard runs their conference out of uh, the Anaheim Convention Center. Um, my friends and I, this is actually our sixth visit to the Anaheim Convention Center for BlizzCon, so we've been going pretty regularly. Um, the way they usually break it down is they have an opening ceremony, uh, and that's kind of the first thing that happens Friday. And that is where they make their major announcements. That's where they tend to re- like announce new expansions, new characters, big changes that are coming to their games. Like That's where Overwatch was announced, for example, on that stage. So the opening ceremony is usually a really big deal, and that's kind of the, the starts where things kick off, and that's on Friday. Um, and then they do panels where they go... Uh, just This is kind of just throughout the day, right? And this happens Friday and Saturday where they have panels from the development team and they talk about features, characters, things that are coming up. Um, they'll usually do brief Q&As with people present at the convention center as well. And then uh, there's demos of almost everything they announce. They have a demo up. So, you know, this year I got to try the Diablo on the Switch. I got to try Diablo Immortal. All of those things they had up and running so you could go and play them at the convention center. And then they have uh, like a live musical orchestra type thing that happens at the end. The bands vary. It's not really an orchestra. Sorry. But, you know, like this year they had three different uh, musicians. They had, you know, Lindsey Sterling was there and stuff like that. And they they close out um, on Saturday. So that's kind of how they end the conventions. They have that going on. Um, And then, of course, there's lots of esports and there's Blizzard developers walking around the entire convention floor, and that's the briefest, quickest highlight. 
So when you attended, were from were there any developers you got to speak to? Because I know one thing which I actually really enjoy what Blizzard does, especially with Overwatch, they really communicate very, very well with their with the gamers and also just kind of giving a really nice insight to why they made the choices they made for tweaks to Overwatch or new classes or new characters or any of that sort. Did you have an opportunity to actually talk to one of the, the developers from the company? Uh, I did have a chance to have a few one-on-ones with several developers there. Um, I talked to an artist who's been with the company for about 11 years. Uh, I talked to a member of the Diablo team that did a lot of work on the Challenge Rift system. And uh, I talked to another guy, had a great conversation with him uh, just about the industry, how to break into the industry, and things like that. Um, I didn't really get a chance to talk to a lot of them about specifics on the product because a lot of times like if i were to go up to one of them and say hey you know i have these burning questions about the game they would be pretty they would probably dodge a lot of those in (laughs) favor of like go go to the panel you know because they have the specific development heads that typically talk about that panels so you had mentioned that you had a nice long discussion with someone about how to break into the industry now of course many people especially people want to become designers or even artists or concept anyone of any type of developer really would love to join blizzard could you maybe get into more of the specifics of was it for joining blizzard or was it for just breaking into the game industry itself um a lot of the stuff we talked about was specific to blizzard but a, a good deal of the advice would transcend just them um you know, that's something that's actually something we've talked about is getting to an episode about how to break into the industry. And uh, I think that'd be a good opportunity to go deeper. But, you know, he, he gave some general things like working on your soft skills is huge. Um, there are so many people that just they don't have the soft skills necessary to really kind of get their foot in the door. And just being able to articulate your ideas, communicate really well can make all the difference. Um, from a design perspective, he said, you know, one of the most important things you can do as a designer is give them something to play. It doesn't need to be the greatest game that's ever been produced, but, you know, being able to show and not tell your ability as a designer is super important. Uh, So that was something that really resonated with me because I don't have an extensive personal portfolio, and that's something I want to work on. Um, And this conversation definitely made me want to do that even more. Yeah, so it's really interesting that he said that to have something that kind of i guess basically that have it have the game speak for itself and we see a lot of that with a lot of these open world games and stuff where they're all about making so that the the world kind of you just it becomes like the game itself and you don't really need a long agonizing tutorial to figure out what's going on is that kind of what he was saying along the lines of that i mean a lot of what he was getting at is you know when you're a designer Uh, It can be very, the work you do is not always tangible, right? Like sometimes, like, you know me, I'll sit there in my computer and I will run a spreadsheet for eight hours. And that's not particularly interesting. And unless you're someone that's really familiar with my project, that could be really difficult to show someone and go look at all the work I'm doing. Um, But, you know, if you're doing a personal project or you have a game that someone can actually pick up and play, they can kind of get an idea of like, okay, this is how this person thinks through design. These are ideas they had. This is how they execute on those ideas. Um, 
we always say there's no such thing as an idea man or woman in the industry. You know, like you need to be prepared to follow through with that work. And by producing something that's playable, you're demonstrating your ability to have an idea and see that idea through from start to finish. Um, kind of along those lines, other advice that he had given me uh, is go through, and even if you're not a great artist, even if you're not a great engineer, try to go through all of the steps. He cited Unity as an example since Unity is so widely available. But he's like, you know, get an, a piece of art in there, you know, make a character, make a sprite, and do all those things, go through every step. Because when you get onto a team, being able to facilitate between teams is huge. You know, I don't understand all of the technical stuff our engineers talk about at work, but I understand enough to under like know and empathize if, you know, our head engineer is saying, hey, you know, we're having these problems with Redis. I couldn't walk you through Redis, but I understand the general context of that. And then I can go back to the rest of my team and go, okay, this is kind of what we're dealing with. This is how we get from point A to point B. Being able to develop those skills where you can talk to artists, you can talk to engineers and empathize with what they're saying and have a, a decent understanding is massive and would definitely put you well ahead of many other applicants. Yeah, I could not agree more. I think a lot of times when people think when they what it takes to get into the game industry, they feel you either have to be an engineer or an artist or a game designer. And when people start mentioning a manager or a producer, they're like, oh, God, these are just people that tell you what to do. But these are all the people that keep things on track. These are the people that keep things you know, in line and make sure that things actually get done. And so having really strong group dynamic skills that allow you to communicate with every department within that game company, I think is incredibly important. It's, I mean, it's really fun to be just the one man army, but when your team starts growing and you don't have the skills to properly communicate between each department or each type of developer within the company, then things will just fall apart. Yeah. Or yeah. What, what, what was a great, big, huge, amazing company will just crash and burn because there's just no organization. Exactly. So speaking to that, where, you know, there are lots of developers and Blizzard is like an army of developers. Just, I mean, there's just so many of them there <laughs> doing all different types of games and products and stuff. Was there, were there any panels that you were able to get access to and see did you find anything interesting from those uh you know in previous years i found them to be really informative um this year uh, you know i'm a huge fan of their stuff but I, I will say this year blizzcon felt a little underwhelming and that includes the panels um, there's been previous years where they dove really deep into some of their design decisions. Um, this year they did that, but it felt a lot more surfacey, if that makes sense. Uh, mm. I felt like they didn't get into the nitty gritty quite as much as I would have liked. Now, I, all truth told, I didn't see every single panel because some of them do conflict with each other. Um, and there's still panels I want to go back and watch on their, uh, like the VOD system. But from the ones that I sat down on, which was mostly like Heroes of the Storm, uh, I was, I've been more impressed in previous years with their their design deep dives, and that was this year for sure. So with Heroes of the Storm, I know you said you weren't as impressed as previous years, but was there anything you managed to take from that? Any new, interesting design decisions that they came up with, or maybe they some new systems they talk about they were talking about or breaking down? Um. 
mm, hard to really recall specifics mm. there. Like the biggest thing that they talked a lot about was uh, they introduced a new character this year, and she has some pretty complicated mechanics uh, in a few areas. And they talked a lot about how they kind of got her from point A to point B, so to speak. Um, and they've done that like in previous years. Like last year, they talked a lot about Hanzo and some of their design process on that where they something that you have to understand about blizzard is they're extremely collaborative um one of their mottos is every every voice matters and they live and they breathe that motto um i've found that from every designer i've ever spoken to every tester it doesn't matter what your role is um your voice contributes to the overall product and so kind of in that vein they talked a lot about their design process in previous years where you know they'll get together and they'll say, just as an example, okay, we have Hanzo. Um, this is his character. This is what we already know about him. And these are kind of the pillars that hold that character up. And they'll sort of collaborate and start talking about what abilities might be good, how those abilities might work, what they might look like. And you're talking about you know, a group of artists, programmers, designers, all in a room uh, basically buying in together, getting on the same path. Um, to make that character the best character they can be uh, so they do that and then once they kind of have an early point where they feel that's good they typically will hand that off to uh, I forget their exact title but they're effectively their live ops team um, and that live ops team does a lot of like number tweaking to try to get the characters in the perfect place so how do you feel about that type of I guess um design process where it's a collaboration between all the different types of people within uh, working on that particular game. You had mentioned artists, develop, uh, programmers, and the designers. I mean, there could be a problem in the sense that there's too many cooks in the kitchen, too many decisions being made, and why most of the time you maybe would only want to have a group of your best designers in there. So uh, what are your kind of your thoughts on that type of uh, development? Um. Well, I think, first of all, that's a strong reason why Blizzard in particular, they worry tremendously about culture fit and about those soft skills I mentioned because they want people that are going to be able to articulate their concerns, talk through them, and work through them as a team. Um, you know, and not everybody is super great at that. Uh, so I know in Blizzard's case, they do a really good job of just building their culture around that and hiring people that will fit that culture. Um, and my personal experience is I've tried to live and breathe a very similar mindset where everybody's opinion matters. Um, the benefit there is if you can get everybody on board, uh, like today is a great example. We had a two or three hour long meeting um, just trying to get through like a long month and try to like figure out things that we wanted to do, how we were going to execute on that. And, you know, I had our lead technician there. I had the head of QA and production there. I had, you know, even down to people that were just like mostly doing XML work and things like that. Everybody was in there. And the nice thing is we've worked together enough that we have a tremendous amount of respect for each other. And that's where those soft skills come into play. Like if you're going to be in that environment you need to make sure that you're treating other people the way you want to be treated. That sounds cliche and it sounds like something your mother would say, <laughs> but it's super important, right? Like if someone comes at me and they say, Hey, I really don't like this for X, Y, Z reason. And I just completely blow them off. Like that's, 
not only is that a toxic environment that I'm promoting, it's not going to get us where we want to go. And that's not to say that you need to be a yes man or yes woman. It's just to say that, you know, remember that you're all trying to get the bus going in the same direction on the same road. So have respect for one another and kind of work together in that vein. Um, different meetings and different companies and different people all require different kinds of uh, handholding, I guess, for lack of a better term. And I know in the early days, uh, we had, when we were having those meetings and we didn't necessarily have everybody on the same mindset. We always had a person that had the final decision. Um, and that varied depending on the project, but there was always someone that kind of had the spoken or unspoken authority to say, okay, this meeting has kind of reached its peak. We're done here. Or to say, Hey, you know, we've all weighed in on this. This seems to be the direction the team wants to go. That's where we're going. The reasons are justified. We just need to move on, you know? So it, I think how you go about that collaboration is going to depend a lot on your team and what you need. But I do think that collaboration at that level is going to help give you perspective and make you a better designer because there's absolutely stuff. I mean, I've been designing on the same game for six years now and you know today we were in a meeting and there were tons of things that other people from all departments brought up and i was like oh i absolutely didn't see that or i didn't think of that or that's a great idea and you know it's just going to make the product better yeah but i i love that you said to always have someone in there who's going to put a stop to it in the sense of to make sure that the conversation doesn't keep going and going because you know, if you have all these people in there and they all have great ideas, you could potentially be in there for hours and hours and hours without really getting anything done unless you come in there with a agenda and someone that's constantly moving the conversation along and finally setting that endpoint, even if it means that you have to come back to it later. Yeah. It becomes a little like <laughs> um, less productive when you're just constantly well thinking about every single aspect of what could be done i mean you could be in there for days oh yeah and like <laughs> you just need to accept when you go in there that not every idea is a home run for every really good idea you probably have 10 really bad ones yeah and also too i think it's also a great point to make that it is completely fine to disagree but i think what's important is that when you disagree with someone and you you feel very strongly against what is being discussed that you yourself are able to back up why you strongly disagree about that because if you yeah. are just you know blankly saying this is dumb we shouldn't be doing it this way well no one's going to listen to you because you're not giving any real good reason to why this is dumb yeah exactly and that's you know, to kind of speak about BlizzCon and Blizzard, like that's, again, that's something that they very carefully try to work on and make sure is at the core of what they're doing. There's plenty of meetings they have that, you know, get a little heated. You know, they've cited a few examples publicly, uh, like when they were doing Heroes of the Storm and they were talking about like making all the, because, you know, in traditional MOBAs, each person levels up individually, uh, but in Heroes of the Storm, it's a team level. And there was someone in their meeting that was just super against that. And he kind of exploded and said, look, you know, MOBAs are about shitting on uh, the enemy. And like, that's that. And it's just, you know, he got really passionate about it. Um, but he still articulated, he still communicated what he was frustrated about and why. 
and it still led that team. I would definitely. I wish I could remember the exact like title of the video. I'll see if I can find it later. But it still led that team to go through a thought process as a team and go, okay, that's what MOBAs traditionally are. Do we need to do that? Like it allowed them to be in a space of asking that question. So it's not like you always need to like walk on eggshells. Just articulate and be respectful. So. Speaking to that, there was a little bit of controversy at BlizzCon what? dealing with <laughs> uh, a particular game First time hearing that, that a lot of people, <laughs> right? That a few people, just a few people, maybe one or two or three, I don't know. About the, They were a little discouraged about what was announced with Diablo and mm -hmm. what actually <laughs> came from that. Could you enlighten the listeners into what happened? Yeah, so it's important as you're you're listening to this to understand the cadence of how Blizzard's opening ceremony typically goes. Um, they go through each game at the opening ceremony, and they kind of announce each one in turn. And, you know, it'll be like the WoW team will talk about their thing, StarCraft team will talk about their thing, and they go through the announcements, cinematics, and it's cool. A lot of times, uh, they save... Maybe a lot of times is wrong, but there's been frequent times where they will save kind of their their magnum opus announcement for the final, like the closing announcement, right? That's the one where you're like, oh my god, that was crazy. If memory serves, like when they dropped Overwatch, uh, you know, when they announced that, it was the closer. Because what's going to follow that, right? Like that's Overwatch. And it was a new IP, the first IP they'd done in a while. Now let me set the stage for you. Uh, for the Diablo community and part of where their frustration comes from. Um, everybody, A lot of people love Diablo 3. It's been a great game. It's one of the best-selling games of all time. Uh, there's a very passionate player base around that. Last year at BlizzCon, um, before BlizzCon, the Diablo team made sure everybody knew that there were going to be no Diablo announcements. They're like, listen, we just aren't ready to announce anything and we don't want to try to, like, shoehorn something in. So just so you guys know, there will be no Diablo announcements. This was last year, okay? This So this year, obviously, everybody's expecting big things. Everybody's going, okay, there was no Diablo announcement last year, so we're going to have a huge Diablo announcement this year. And rumors started flying before BlizzCon, which was amplified when the Diablo team came out and was like, listen, we got some exciting stuff we're going to announce for you this year. We're, we're pretty stoked. And then, then Forbes, I think it was, uh, started to talk about how Diablo 4 was going to get announced. Um, I, I'd have to go find the article. I don't remember if they said it was a rumor that they were confirming or if they had a source. But basically, Forbes came out and was like, Look, listen, Diablo 4 is getting announced this year. It's going to be dope. Not long after that, Blizzard, and this is, I want to say, like three weeks leading up to BlizzCon, maybe. Uh, Blizzard put out an announcement that basically said, listen, temper your expectations. And that was already not super well received. Uh, because, you know, people people want Diablo 4. It's what they've wanted for years now. Uh, so we go into BlizzCon this year. And we know, okay, temper your expectations. And... The Diablo team comes up, White Chain comes up, and we're like, okay, this could be pretty cool. And, you know, a lot of people in the room are thinking, 
maybe a, a Diablo 3 expansion announcement, maybe the tiniest hint of Diablo 4, like something. And they they dropped the the Diablo Mortal announcement, which was, you know, a mobile game. Now, uh, to kind of give some context for why there might have been a lot of frustration around that, you have to keep in mind the demographic of people that are in that room. Um, everybody, pretty much everybody has a phone and plays a mobile game of some kind. Like, it might be a, a little mobile game, like, you know, Angry Birds or something, but for the most part, the people attending BlizzCon are attending BlizzCon because they like Blizzard products. Blizzard products are very traditionally PC console products. Hearthstone obviously is available on mobile, but it's also available on your computer. So they closed their ceremony to an audience of primarily PC and console players about a game that no one knew was going to exist, you know, Double Immortal, mobile. Um, and, and it was a mobile game. Like, people were pretty upset. Uh, it's the first time in the six years I've, in the six BlizzCons I've attended, that an announcement actually had a bunch of booze. I've never seen that before. Yeah. So there are definitely two ways we can take this. We can take this from the side of the gamer, which has <laughs> many have been very, very vocal of their opinions and on this. And you already kind of gave some examples into why they were not very happy because the audience was well, a, a, an audience of more so PC gamers. So they, they were expecting a proper Diablo, um, not a mobile game, which still to this day tends to be seen as not not tends to not be looked at as the most respected thing among the hardcore gamers within you know within that, the game industry um so that side has been i believe discussed enough i for this <laughs> particular conversation i would like to take go on the other side and see if we can break down from the point of view of blizzard you know, there how this was handled and you know just from usually a, a game company when it comes to developing hype or maybe trying not to develop hype or trying to control the community a bit better or trying to and there's all kinds of different things that were going on here yes everybody was not happy but i'm sure before this happened there were plenty of long, long meetings and discussions within Blizzard about how this should be handled and, you know, how to calm people down as the hype was being built up by them because they what they were expecting was not something they, what seems like, Blizzard was ready to show yet. So, um, so what do you think is, how Blizzard handled this? Do you feel that they did the best they could to i mean they have a lot of people that they they needed to please because this is such this is one of their most popular ips or like what are your th their thoughts on the way the marketing was handled for this sure so going into this i want to say that there's a lot of rumors flying around right now mm -hmm. all over the internet and i'm going to do my best to just completely stick to one what i saw to what i know mm -hmm. um i would also urge anyone that's listening to this like be really skeptical about articles you're seeing coming out because yes. right now everybody everybody mysteriously has sources at Diablo that is telling them stuff that they didn't have those sources a month ago like it's 
it, be very skeptical of anything you're seeing, even on sites like Kotaku. So, um, you know, it's not meant as a diss on anyone. Just try to try to think about it like that. So, how I, I definitely feel Blizzard dropped the ball in a few areas. Um, one, they they need to know that the people they're announcing this to are primarily PC gamers. Um, and that the, they obviously knew that these people were very excited for Diablo 4. I think their first mistake um, from a marketing side was closing the ceremony with this announcement. Um, I think it would have been a little bit better if you know Diablo had been like in the middle or something like that, or maybe even the first one. Um, because to have it be the closing announcement, you know, and in on in Blizzard's defense, they might not see it that way, right? It's very easy for me as a consumer to sit back and go, oh, Blizzard should have seen this. That makes perfect sense. But when you're in the middle of that project, you don't always have that perspective. So to them, it might not seem like that big a deal to close out with that. But to the people attending BlizzCon, they're expecting something really big because that's the last announcement. Last year was skipped, etc. So I think that's the first place that they made a big mistake. Um, the second place that it really feels like a big disconnect was... I think they should have taken a, a, a nod from like what Bethesda did, right? If they have anything going... Like they've already said that they have other Diablo-specific projects in motion. If they would have done a Bethesda and flashed a, a logo, done anything like that, that would have made a lot of people feel better. If they'd straight up just gone up there and said something to the effect of, hey, listen, we know that you're very excited about what we have coming in the future. We have not forgotten about our loyal fan base on PC, on console, but the things that we're working on, they need more time. We don't want to prematurely announce anything. So just know we have so much more coming. But today we want to show you the next installment, which is on mobile, yada yada. I think if they would have done that, it would have communicated, hey, you know, we're a big team. We have a lot going on. This isn't the only, you know, log in our fireplace right now. So don't don't panic. It would also give them it would make them look a little bit more empathetic to their player base because the way they came across on stage was, and you've probably seen people cite this where they seemed kind of disconnected between what their community wants and what they think their community wants. Um, I think that the, that alone, like just mentioning it, doing anything logo, whatever would have done a lot. Um, it would have restored a lot of people's faith that, you know, the company isn't changing too dramatically because another thing that, and this is where another misstep I feel on their part, at least from the outside, is they really emphasize that NetEase is doing the majority of this. Now, I don't work at NetEase. I've never known anyone to work at NetEase. But anyone in the industry knows that NetEase does not have a sterling reputation. Um, they come from a very different kind of demographic. And the games they've produced have been... They really prey upon microtransactions and stuff like that. It's not a good lead-in to say, hey, we're not handling a lot of the design of that. We're doing the art. And by the way, here's Immortal Lake. And that's that's a tricky slope. From a business perspective, 
Blizzard is late on getting into mobile. They should have done this way sooner. They probably tried and just were met with, you know, inexperience, didn't know what to do. Who knows? I think from a business perspective, this is super, super, super smart um, because the mobile market is massive. Um, if you go and you look up how much revenue is produced out of the mobile market every year, I mean, the numbers are staggering. Like, it's huge. So they absolutely are making it, uh, the right decision from a business perspective. And something that people maybe are kind of losing sight of in this whole thing is because NetEase, reputation aside, is doing the majority of the heavy lifting with this product, as far as we can tell, um, that means that they still have a ton of developers working on whatever else they have in store that are not tied up with that mobile game. Yeah, so it sounds like from a strategy, from back on the business side, just a strategy standpoint, this was really good business. This is what you do when you have a lot of keys and you're already doing very well on all these other platforms. Of course, the next step would be to bring your game to one of the most popular uh, uh, platforms out there, which is mobile. So it makes a lot of sense. But going back to what you said, it just it did feel like that they were in a bubble. Yeah. And this happens all the time when you are developing a game or, you know, when you have this big vision for a game and you're like, oh man, this is so great. We can focus on building next step for our one of our biggest IPs and we can let this other company just create another, uh, use our IP which people already love and but also still give us and I really work on the bigger stuff i mean you see this all the time with call of duty yeah, they do yeah. this this is what they do they keep switching it back and forth so uh, i mean it's but still it does feel like the way the marketing was handled was very poor but more on the community side that i'm kind of a little bit shocked that that considering that blizzard seems to almost pride themselves so much in their community and how much they interact with their community why do you suppose there was that huge disconnect there into, you know, expectations or what people would have thought from this announcement? Well, you know, and some of this is going to be speculation. You know, I, I can't emphasize enough that I, I sort of know people at Blizzard, but only in passing. I don't work there. So a lot of this is just, hey, this is kind of what I see outside looking in. Um, but I think that some of it is the way community management has evolved over the years is not necessarily the way Blizzard has handled things in a lot of areas. I think the WoW team is actually doing a absolutely stellar job of stepping up their ability to communicate with their player base. Um, Ian Hasakostis in particular, who's kind of like the head honcho on WoW, he has come under fire and he's directed a lot of that fire to him saying, hey, listen, at the end of the day, I signed off on a lot of these decisions, so he kind of takes a lot of the community's ire. But then he also turns around and he'll do Q&As, he'll do his best to break things down and explain why they're doing what they're doing. I think with the Diablo team, they're a few years behind. I think they have amazing men and women over there. Uh, doing great work in the industry. I think they have the capability to just do fantastic things from a community perspective. I think that they just might not 
be fully equipped to deal with the Diablo community as it stands right now. While the rest of their games are kind of leveling up, you know, products are leveling up in the community department, it feels like the Diablo team just hasn't quite caught up. That could be because of internal communications. Maybe they're not quite on board with how the other teams are doing it. It's hard to say on the specifics of why. I mean, it honestly, it could come down straight up to there's someone at a very high level saying, listen, we really can't talk about a lot of this stuff, so we're just going to have to be quiet about it. And I honestly... That wouldn't surprise me because you have to also look at Blizzard historically when Titan uh, did not go very well. Um, If you're unfamiliar with the Titan project, it is what came before Overwatch. It's a game that was in production for quite a number of years. Uh, Blizzard transitioned most of their best and brightest onto the project, and uh, it ended up failing miserably like it never launched. Uh, There's a lot of reasons for it. I encourage you to go out and read as much as you can about it. But you noticed after that happened, um, this has been a few years obviously now since they canceled it, brought Overwatch, etc. After Titan failed, Blizzard's approach to announcements did change a bit. They're very, very gun-shy about announcing something too soon, which makes tons of sense. I mean, it's something we talk about here, we talk about in the office. Announcing things before you should can be really bad because it sets a bad expectation for the community. Um, And if it it really could just be as simple as, you know, Diablo 4 might be in production, and maybe they've had to pivot that product really hard, like two or three times. And if that's the case you really don't want to say too much because then fans get, okay, this is what I expect now. And it's silly because it could even come down, like, I'm sure people are going to listen to this and go, well, yeah, they could have shown a logo. But as silly as it sounds, even just a logo can start to set expectations. People are going to look at that logo and they're going to say, oh, it's really dark, it's really gritty, I bet the game is going to reflect that. Or they're going to go, oh, it's the opposite, you know, it's really light, it's really airy. Yeah, maybe this isn't the Diablo I want. And the longer between that logo reveal and the actual gameplay reveal you have, the bigger the expectations are going to be in the community. And that's a situation you just don't want to find yourself in. Yeah, you <laughs> hype can be a very dangerous weapon. Um, it's If you build too little, then people might lose interest if you build too much people might set their expectations so high that you'll never be able to achieve when the game achieve what they want when the game finally comes out and they'll be incredibly disappointed it's really difficult especially with a company as big and as well known as blizzard to balance the hype so yeah i'm with you on the part that it probably was not they probably did not even want to show a logo because i mean considering how fans can be with a game they will dissect that thing to just the very they will rip it to pieces and they'll start creating new rumors like all kinds of things will start circulating which is which i'm pretty sure internally they were probably scared of happening which is why they didn't show anything exactly Um, so going talking more on the side of community and how you were saying that maybe perhaps the diablo team um we don't know but just saying that maybe 
that team was a bit more behind than all the other teams when it comes to developing a community is kind of showing the importance of community. And I know you have a lot of experience that with the games that you've worked on dealing with the community and not uh, and whatnot. And since we have all of these tools coming out these days, like, you know, Twitch and just all Discord and all these other different ways that you can interact with your community and how people can, you know, engage with your game. It just, uh, I mean, would you say that when, when you start developing a game, that community should be one of the number one focuses, like outside of actually making the game, <laughs> but community should be one of the things you actually should be thinking about all the time throughout the, the whole life of the game? Um, in my opinion, yeah. And I mean, some of that, like just being totally transparent, some of that's a little biased because the company I work for one of our core pillars is community. Uh, that's that's how we've always approached every game. That's how we've always done business is, you know, players matter, their voice matters, community matters. So that's the biggest exposure I have to it. And I definitely think that there's a lot of cases where developers will, uh, they kind of look at their community and I don't think they, I, I don't want to say they maybe don't value them as much as they should, but they don't value just communication as much as they should um, empathizing with your players being as honest as you feel comfortable you know, we've talked about that in previous podcasts where you know you're a human help those help those players understand that you're a human and they're going to react way better and that's where like during all of this stuff one of the problems that in one of my in my opinion one of the problems that blizzard has right now is you know BlizzCon ends ended Saturday, so announcements Friday for Diablo Immortal. Uh, we go into Sunday. There's you know people heading home, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And now you know at the time of recording this, it's it's Wednesday night, and there hasn't really been a big official announcement. Like it, Blizzard hasn't really addressed the community, which is pretty uncharacteristic. Um, However, more people are seeing videos where Blizzard is talking about ramping up their mobile development. Um, they said that they're putting more resources into developing mobile games across all of their IPs. Some are going to be partnering with other companies like NetEase, for example, which is an example they did cite. And some of them are going to be handled, it sounded, uh, almost entirely internally. Again, from a business decision, that makes perfect sense. I think that's something that they could have done. Um, and... Again, this is outside looking in. Hindsight's twenty twenty. I don't know all of their development stuff, yada, yada, yada. But how different would Diablo Immortal have gone over if they had instead taken a community that was already fairly healthy on a game that was already pretty healthy and active, like WoW, and done a mobile game in that IP instead? You know, the biggest example I saw people talking about in the subreddit is how they really wanted a, pe a mobile pet battle game uh, set with WoW. Because, you know, in WoW, you can do pet battles. Mm. How great would that have been if they'd released that and been like, hey, look, you know, WoW is still in production. But as you can see, we at Blizzard are dipping our toes into the mobile development. I think that also would have helped lessen the blow on the Immortal announcement because, you know, the Diablo community really hasn't gotten a whole lot, for, and that's measured in years. Um, that sounds a little entitled, but in a world where games as a service is the motto most companies are going by, Diablo 3 is horrendously outdated. It came in kind of, in my mind, at the tail like end 
of games as a service not being normal, right? So it wasn't set up for the kind of ongoing games as a service model that a lot of modern products are. So Diablo 3 is already kind of at a disadvantage. Their season system is great, but they haven't done anything with it in a while. No new items, etc. So you have a community that's already kind of disgruntled and you know, the bone you're throwing them is something that's not even something they can play on the platform they're accustomed to. All of these things by themselves would probably be okay, but when you add them all together, they do make for a bigger problem. Some of that is definitely solvable through community. Some of it would have been solvable through much higher decisions than those community managers are going to make, right? Um, and some of it's just dev time. It's also worth noting that I did try Diablo Immortal on the floor and the game, keep in mind, I only got a chance to play it for like 10 minutes before the demo was over. I will say in its current state, it looks nice, but it's a little uninspired. It Blizzard has said multiple times it's not going to be a reskin of some of NetEase's other products, but as of right now, it pretty much feels like uh, some action RPGs that NetEase has already put out. And one of the problems with that is NetEase has some very aggressive modization models that are not necessarily consumer-friendly. And Blizzard hasn't said anything about what the modization model is going to be on Immortal. Now, it's important to understand there that the people that are designing that game are probably not the same people that are trying to figure out all the monetization mechanics. Yes, they do interact with each other, but it's not like the guy who's designing the items is also the guy who's deciding, okay, well, we're going to add grab bags, right? There's definitely multiple people that are going to be contributing to those systems. So that's also something to keep in mind, you know? Absolutely. Did you get a chance to speak with any of the community managers or anyone dealing with the community for Diablo when you were at BlizzCon? I mean, you know, I wanted to. I saw their lead community manager, but she looked, she was just really tired and she was having a bunch <laughs> of conversations. I was like, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go up and talk to her right now. So unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to talk to their community team too much. Um, something else I want to call out is there's a lot of discussions on both sides of this where people are saying, okay, well, the community's entitled and Blizzard's a saint. And there's other people that are saying, no, Blizzard is in their ivory tower, disconnected from the realities of their community. You know, the gamers are, are in the right. I want to say I think that both sides are right and both sides are wrong. Uh, gamers, I think that we need to admit to ourselves, we're all pretty entitled um, that's just kind of the world we live in with games. You know, we're accustomed to a company saying, hey, we're going to support this game, we're going to do X, we're going to do Y and Z. And we have a lot of expectations around that. And Blizzard uh, fans are fiercely loyal to the product and they're fanatic. I, as one of them, I can definitely tell you that. Um, so I think that 100% there is some entitlement going on there from the gamer's side of things. Um, I think part, some of that's healthy. I think other people go a little too far. Uh, a great example is there was the Q&A and a guy, his question was, is this an early April Fool's joke? Hmm. Um, when he asked that, a lot of people cheered and a lot of people have been like hailing him as a hero in the subreddit and whatnot. And, you know, that's super disappointing to me. Um, I think about being the developer up on that stage you know, like 5,000 people watching, expecting 
there's a lot of stress and some guy drops that like it, it just seems very disrespectful um and i'm really bummed that the community is rallying around that because yeah he expressed that we're as consumers discontent with what was presented but I don't think that was one. I don't think that was a big mystery Two, He didn't really articulate what his problem was. If he had come up and he had said something like, Hey, listen, I don't play mobile games. I'm a PC gamer. Um, are you pivoting blizzard strategy to focus more on mobile games? If so, that's really going to bum me out. That would be a fantastic question to ask. It would give blizzard context of like, okay, this is why, this person and our community is dissatisfied it gives them something to work off of um just going up there and dropping hey is this an april fool's joke uh i actually makes me really mad that he is being hailed as a hero hero for that i think that's super disrespectful um now to the counter that though i really strongly feel the blizzard is dropping the ball by saying absolutely nothing at least as of recording which is uh November 7th right now in the U.S. at 7.53 PST, they haven't come out and said anything. And I think that is, I don't want to say that it's necessarily disrespectful of their fans, but I do feel that they as a company would be better served if they said something, uh, even if it's just like, hey, listen, we understand we're preparing an announcement, like just something, man, because the silence is not good. And that's a really good way to just further the, the divide between you and your community saying nothing. Yes. I mean, why I really love how they handle with overwatch when they have, have those developer videos. And there even has been times when the community has really hated changes to a particular character. And then usually within a week or a couple of days, a new designer video comes out with them breaking it all down, being incredibly transparent and to why they made the decisions they made. And in some videos, even apologizing for some things and knowing that their fans are very loyal and, you know, the change they made has really hurt the feelings or <laughs> of a few of a particular few bunch of people. But I feel like they should be doing that with this as well. They, like you had stated before, yes, the gamers do feel a bit entitled, but they are also the people playing and purchasing your games. You yeah. need to make sure that they understand why you did what you did. Um, if you feel that you don't have a good reason that you can give then yes, I would say it is okay to go a little dark, but don't do that for like months and months and months and then finally come out and say, oh, well, we know this is why we did it. By then the damage is done. It's already far too late and you may actually start losing a lot of your community. So going back to what you were saying about how, you know, the company, it, the the player the community comes first it's, it's always about them because they are the ones actually using the product and playing it and enjoying it so you need to make sure that they're happy of course within reason you shouldn't let the community drive the company but you also should make sure that you listen to everything that they have to say and of course you don't have to agree with a, a lot of it but you still need to give them something let them know that their voice is being heard and not ignore because if you ignore them 
then, well, things just get worse. <laughs> so yeah. much worse. And I, I really, really like what you said there about don't let your community drive everything. Don't let them just completely take control of everything. Listening to them, empathizing with them is super important. But at the end of the day, there are legitimately going to be decisions that you're going to make that they're not going to like, but is definitely within the best interest to the long-term health of the game. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's going to also be times where they're going to present something you really don't like, and it will also be for the long-term health of the game. So it, it goes both ways, but that's that's fantastic. Listen to your community, but don't let them drive the bus, because that then the pendulum swings too far in the other direction, right? Absolutely. Now, of course, we could probably continue to talk a lot more about Diablo, but the, you know, apparently Blizzard has other games as well. I, I, yeah, I'm surprised yeah. besides Diablo. <laughs> so World of Warcraft, you have brought it up a few times. Now they, I believe, did they release, are they working on another expansion? Or I think they did come out with a, um, a new one. Or... So they came out with Battle for Azeroth uh, earlier this year. So this year at BlizzCon, they talked about some community concerns and they talked a little bit about uh, some changes that are coming up in a, in a patch or two. And if you are unfamiliar with where World of Warcraft is at right now, um, there's been a lot of discussion from that community about how they're very dissatisfied with the state of the game in a variety of ways. And if you're if you're not sure what those ways are, I'd encourage you to go and read about it. It's probably more info than we have time to really get granular mm-hmm. with here. But they were able to kind of was talking about earlier. They went up there. They kind of explained, "Hey, this is our justification on a few things. We hear you on some of these issues." And they definitely, to their credit, they they did exactly what we're talking about here. There were some issues they pushed back on a little bit, and then there's issues where they allowed themselves to be pushed back a little bit and go, "Okay." We see where you're coming from. We're going to talk about that. We're going to think about that. Perfect way, in my opinion, to handle that. Uh, the other thing they talked about this year is WoW Classic. Um, WoW Classic, if you're unfamiliar, they are going and they're actually re-releasing the original World of Warcraft uh, to be played. You know, I think it is the patch right before Burning Crusade dropped their first expansion. So there's a lot of players that really have rose-tinted goggles and nostalgia for that classic WoW experience, and Blizzard is actually going to allow them to have that experience. Um, One thing that they did announce this year that was super huge and made a lot of people excited is if you already have an active World of Warcraft subscription, you can just go ahead and play WoW Classic. It's not a, a separate subscription. So that kind of brings up an interesting point of with when you have a game that's been going on for such a long time i I, how long has it been 14 years now or yeah i think i think we're looking at 14 years now wow so it kind of makes me wonder i mean since when the company has been going time and you have so many games that you can kind of bring back or remaster or whatever way something else they like to say it yeah yeah um how do you how do you feel about that? Do you feel like it's always good to keep bringing back the classic versions of your games? And I mean, we see we saw a lot of like in the past decade a tremendous amount of remastering of games. Over, feel that's a good thing. Um, get people 
people who are nostalgic and play mm-hmm. off of that and get them excited and or is it maybe a bad thing because you're just kind of reusing old stuff um i mean i think the con- i think it depends a lot on the context there so from a consumer standpoint like i have for me just me personally i have zero interest in wow classic i played the heck out of that game when it came out and you know what i I'm very happy we have a lot of the things we do in modern world of Warcraft. Um, however, if you look at the counter of that, the other side, um, I could not be more excited at the announcement for World of War or sorry, Warcraft Three Remastered. Um, that one I'm incredibly excited for, and I think that there is merits to both cases. I think that it's a little subjective based on the context and the company. Um, and I don't think there's many companies that could be in Blizzard's position where they say, listen, we have this game that's been out for 14 years, you know, in WoW's case. I don't remember how many years Warcraft 3 is. It might be as many as 20 now. I, it's hard to remember. But there's very few companies that can look at these products, and uh, their own products, and go, wow, you know, we, we've been around so long, and people still love, they still play this game. What if we go back and remaster it? I think that it's something that we're going to see more often kind of going forward, but it still feels like a pretty unique thing to Blizzard as of right now. Um, as far as whether or not it's bad, I don't really think it's bad uh, so long as you're not doing it at the exclusion of new things for your new players, right? Like if they were saying, hey, we're going to do WoW Classic and therefore we're not doing another World of Warcraft expansion for five years. Just going extremes here. I'm not saying anything that that's what they said or anything like that. I think that's a case where that's not good. And I think that would upset a lot of players and in the long run would probably cost them a lot more money than it would make. Yeah, absolutely. So going back to, um, you said the expansion had already came out um, a little while ago. Since the game has been out for so many years, over a decade now, and you said the f- they were answering questions and to their community and letting them kind of reassuring them on some things and changes they're being that are being made. How can you keep a game from a design standpoint fresh that has been out that long? Most games don't even live this long. And I mean, after a while, I mean, it's like you said, you've been working on a game for six years. What kind of things can you do to actually keep a game feeling new and exciting every single time? I mean, the only real good example I can think of currently right now is Fortnite. They're doing a very good job with that because they're constantly like literally changing the game. Um, to feel completely new but when you have a game that's very driven on its content uh you know like like world of warcraft i mean it's still the same type of game loop how can you keep making that feel fun so i'm going to speak in in some of what i'm going to say is a little bit general because i think that it's incredibly subjective um you know the trials and tribulations i go through every week there's going to be overlap to what Blizzard has to deal with, but there's also going to be a lot of differences, right? So keep in mind that what I'm about to say is maybe not applicable to every scenario. But I do think that that's a case where you definitely need collaboration and you need new blood every once in a while. Um, perfect example is the meeting like I had today. Like I said, I've been so close to this project for so long that there was stuff obvious stuff that I never thought of that is really 
hopefully going to liven up uh, the game in the coming months, you know, with some content that we're adding. And I never would have thought of a lot of those things if it hadn't been for other people being like, hey, you know, what if we do this? And I was like, holy crap, that's a great idea. Just because I don't have that perspective all the time. So I definitely think that if you want a product to go for a long time, surround yourself with people of all different like all different backgrounds all different experiences it's great to have someone that has a fresh eye and maybe they're not part of the team all the time but sometimes like it's as simple as i'm sure there's been cases at blizzard where they have senior designers who are amazing at their jobs but they've probably looked at world of warcraft for a long time and gone i just don't know like it's you can't look at everything with fresh eyes all the time it's just not humanly possible so i think surrounding yourself with other people to collaborate is huge, absolutely pivotal to making sure you have a product last a long time. And, you know, the other thing, too, is you really need to have fun and love what you're doing. Um, I think that the minute you get to a point where you just don't care anymore, you're like, I mean, this game's been around for so many years, like, who heckin' cares? I think as soon as you get to that point, like, you're digging your own grave. So it seems like you really have to still feel very passionate and care about every aspect of the game that you're working on. It, because if you don't feel passionate about it, then that's going to show greatly in the content that's released. Is, is that about right? Yeah. I mean, you see uninspired content all the time. And I would be a complete liar if I said I've never gone through that. There's definitely been times where I come up and I'm like, holy crap, I have to design another item set. This is going to be the worst experience ever. Um, and it's one of those things where there's no silver bullet. Um, the, so the sooner you realize there's pretty much no silver bullets in this industry, the better. Uh, because you're going to start accepting things a lot more. Um, <laughs> it's saying that there's no silver bullet for that. But like, if you're part, let's say you're part of a small team similar to like my situation, right? You don't have a tremendous amount of resources to always get everything done. Um you know, just look outside of maybe the circles you normally would, you know, find people you trust. Uh, something that I did uh, that our company does is we have the player councils. Uh, and I've talked a little bit about that before where, you know, we have players that we trust. We talk to them directly through like Slack. Um, there was once upon a time we'd fly them out to our office. You know, sometimes if I get stuck on something, like I just talk to some players that I trust explicitly aren't going to like leak it out to a bunch of people and whose opinions I respect. And I, I'll sometimes give them like pretty much the full info. I'm like, Hey, this is what I'm thinking. Um, these are some concerns I have. Like, what do you guys think of this? And that process has been huge. So I would definitely say that if you find yourself in a situation where you're like, well, I just don't have resources or I just don't have, and you're making excuses. Um, take a step back and really look at what's available to you and try to think about options you just haven't explored yet. That sounds really generic. And I'll be honest, there's definitely days where I don't get to that point. There's days I struggle. There's days I have a really hard time coming up with something that I'm super passionate about. You're going to run into those days. It's, it's going to happen. Um, but don't get discouraged. And, you know, just do your best to give your mind a break. Uh, another thing that I like to do a lot is look around for inspiration. Um, especially if I need to write something, uh, I'll just start Googling images. Sometimes they're just random images. I'm like, uh, I'm just going to look up dragons or something. 
and the tiniest thing will give you that spark of like, oh, crap, you know what? I could do X, Y, or Z. So uh, don't limit yourself. Absolutely. I have been through burnout um, as well uh, when it comes to game development. It can, I mean, I'm a software engineer, so I doing programming can get really intense. And after a while, if you've worked on something for quite a while, it can really start to get to you. You may not want to do it anymore, but going on to what you said about trying to find inspiration, highly, highly recommend to do something outside of games. Do something else. If it's cooking, if it's hiking, if it's just going outside and rolling in the grass or something. I, it does not matter. It's just do anything that is not related to game development because, first of all, you'll feel recharged because you're not going to be constantly thinking about the one thing that is starting to really get to you. Mm-hmm. And second of all, you're going to get really inspired by doing other things and you're going to bring that back to when you start making games again. Yeah, so, absolutely which I think is an incredibly important thing. Um, it's really, uh, really, it's a great feeling too, because yeah. you'll feel extremely refreshed. Um, so we could, I mean, I'm still, I'm sure there's still plenty more we could talk about BlizzCon and who's listening here is interested in us talking more about BlizzCon or maybe just Blizzard in general. I'm sure uh, <laughs> Bernie would not mind that at all. Um, oh yeah. Please, yeah, please let us know and we'd be more than happy to talk hours upon hours about that stuff. Yeah. It's a pretty amazing company. Um, so before we go, uh, Bernie, do you have any like kind of final thoughts about impression or impressions on uh, this year's BlizzCon? Yeah. Um, I definitely think the announcements were a little bit lacking. And as we've already talked about, you know, there were some missteps on Blizzard's part, but uh, there's some other interesting things too, like security was really beefed up this year at the Anaheim Convention Center. They had, um, it was just weird, and I meant to bring this up earlier, but they actually had metal detectors that you had to walk through, and the whole process felt uh, a lot different. So I'm curious, like I, I'm, I think that's the Anaheim Convention Center's doing, not necessarily Blizzard's, but it was a uh, kind of a, a moment for me that felt disappointed that we as a society have to worry about that stuff. You know, in light of all the things that have happened this year and years before that like we're at a point now where like I go to a game convention and I have a dog sniffing my luggage, or, you know, it's just, it's really disappointing. Um, but that said, you know, the convention itself, uh, I go every year I can. I, if you've never been and you like Blizzard products, I, I strongly encourage it. I got to meet um, some community people like Shroud, for example, if you ever watch him on Twitch. I got to meet him in person. And bl- without BlizzCon, I just simply wouldn't have had that opportunity. Um, the convention itself is always a really good time. It's exhausting, but it's a unique experience in the fact that there's developers walking around. They make themselves identifiable. Um, they have specific areas where you go there. Like In like all three cases that I talked to a Blizzard dev this year, they came up to me. I was sitting there. I was on my phone. And they were just like, hey, how's it going? What you here for? I'm such and such. I work on da-da-da. And that's an amazing experience. Like You can't get that from most companies. So I, I know there's a lot of negativity that is going on right now, especially with Diablo Immortal and all that stuff, but don't let that dissuade you from maybe trying to attend a future BlizzCon or, you know, uh, reaching out and trying to, like, 
learn more about game design and things like that because even though there's a lot of negativity uh, around this event there's so many good and awesome things that did happen that is unfortunately being overshadowed by just louder voices you know negativity is always louder than positivity um but don't kid yourself there's plenty of positivity there were plenty of cool things it was not the greatest blizzcon i've ever intended in terms of announcements and stuff but i mean when you're a company of that size you have that many products it's an unrealistic expectation to think that every single year is going to be a home run so it is what it is you know uh definitely going to go and go again next year so long as they have it Absolutely. And yeah, we will in the future try and be co try covering more conferences as well. GDC is probably the biggest game developers conference of the entire year. So the next one's coming up soon. So we'll be covering that and the other conferences that deal with game development too. Um, BlizzCon was more of a gamer centric one, but as Bernie was saying, there's still great opportunities to talk with developers which i think is pretty awesome especially if they're coming up to you oh yeah and let me tell you they love it that you're a game developer like every single okay. one of them the minute they found out i wasn't just a fan i was also a game designer they were like oh let's talk more like they were super interested in going deeper obviously there's limits to what they can talk about but um they want to talk to you about this stuff uh so don't pass up that opportunity absolutely well, so we do have another episode that's going to be coming up after this where uh, Bernie and I talk all about Battle Royale games. We have a pretty deep discussion talking about Fortnite and PUBG and just all about designing them and what works and what doesn't work. So make sure to stay tuned for that as well. And of course, make sure to follow us on all the social media. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Google Plus, but nobody uses that anymore. <laughs> and we're on oh, Instagram. Yeah. Um, one quick, way. one quick note about that BR yeah. episode is we recorded it, uh, when I'd only had a chance to play the beta of Call of Duty's Blackout. And obviously that's been out for a little bit now. So if you listen to this and then you listen to the BR episode, keep in mind that we recorded that BR episode a little while back and life just kind of got in the way. So there's a few things that might not make a lot of sense at the time, but there's still great content. I promise. <laughs> you made a promise, so it's got to be good. <laughs> oh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be good. <laughs> All right. All right, guys. Uh, thanks for listening, as always, and we will talk to you later. Thanks, everybody.